Join our mission of outreach, education, and support for the transgender community at MyFeminineHeart.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of My Feminine Heart. Uh, Today, we are speaking with the beautiful and amazing Ashley Page. Ashley, thank you so much for virtually sharing your time with us. Thank you, Cassandra. I appreciate being here. This has been so magical. I mean, you know, before the quarantine, um, I really only thought that I would be able to interview people in person. And we were supposed to do this interview at the Keystone Conference. Um, But luckily with software like this, you know, in this situation, we're kind of forced to discover that even though you're all the way in Atlanta and I'm up here in PA, that we could have this time together. Well, great. Um, Yes, I know that... um, these have been some challenging times for folks and um, you know, with the quarantine, it, it's really allowed people to do things differently and to think about things differently. Um, I've been working from home now since March 13th. And so luckily I work for an organization that has the capability and allows employees to work from home. Um, I have a pretty good setup in my office. so. Um, it's pretty comfortable. Um, I did have to go back into the office and grab one of my monitors and keyboard and docking station just to kind of make it feel a little bit more like home, just so I wasn't stuck on a 15-inch laptop screen. Um, but it seems like I've been actually busier than ever um, since I've been working from home. So I guess that's a good thing, though, um, and have that job stability and, and have that capability uh, to be able to do that. Especially, uh, you know, given that, unfortunately, there's uh, some folks that are um, out of work right now and unemployed doing, uh, due to businesses being shut down. Yeah. Now, and you work for State Farm, right? I do, yes. So I've worked, um, so this year I celebrated my 22nd year anniversary with State Farm, which is great. Uh, it's hard to imagine 22 years with the same company. Um, but uh, it does like sometimes it feels like it's just I just started there yesterday. Originally, I uh, started my career um, with State Farm in um, the well, kind of like upstate New York, capital district area of New York, um, as an underwriter, and then had an opportunity to move into the agency side and transferred to Connecticut back in 2000. Um, spent quite a few years there, and then there was an opportunity for me. Uh, down in Georgia um, in, 20, in 2014. And so um, it was a, a new um, experience for me. I had never even um, spent any time in Georgia other than either driving through um, Georgia uh, to get to Florida or flying through uh, the Atlanta airport. So totally new experience. And uh, one of the interesting things is when I first moved down here, I um, was on a house hunting trip in February of 2014, and it was two weeks after the Snowmageddon episode, which crippled um, all of Atlanta and a lot of Georgia. Um, and I wasn't really aware of it. I guess I really never paid attention to the news, but uh, it was at that time when I came down here two weeks later, it was in the 70s. So it seemed like nothing ever happened. It, it was amazing. And um, I've enjoyed my career here and I enjoyed my time in Georgia. Never in a million years um, did I think I would have been um, in Georgia or any of the southern states because I always lived in the northeast and grew up there. Um, but uh, Georgia has really grown on me and um, I live outside of Atlanta but work um, just around the perimeter of Atlanta. 
And so it's been a great opportunity for me to explore different areas um, and see a lot of the landscape here. Yeah, Atlanta is so amazing. I have an aunt that lives down there and I've been down there for um, you know some of the transgender stories and conferences. Um, you have like such a vibrant movie scene. Is that how you got on Ozark? Because first of all, I started watching Ozark for you and it's amazing. And I feel like maybe it's because of the quarantine. I was able to get through all three seasons very quickly. And like I had my eyes like peered for you. I was so excited to see you like walk across the screen. So that was an exciting opportunity. Um, Atlanta is a very booming um, film industry and, and movie industry. They they film a lot of TV shows and movies here. Um, almost all of the Marvel um, episodes are filmed here, which is amazing. Oh wow! Um, yeah, so there there's there's a lot of opportunity to be an extra on different shows, and there's a lot of studios around. Atlanta has a lot of different cast and call companies um, that put out feelers for folks um, to be kind of in the background um, on d different movie sets. I had signed up about two, three years ago um, and never really finished it. So no one had ever contacted me because contacted me, I wasn't really serious about it. Um, just figured, hey, you know, it might be something called to do one of these days. Then out of the blue last year, um, I was contacted by one of the cast and call companies for an opportunity to be on Ozark. And so I was like, wow. I, and prior to that, I had just started watching Ozark maybe about a month uh, before that. So I was like, wow, this is exciting um, to be, to at least have the, the option to be on Ozark. Um, and so I submitted my information, my name and photos and all of that. And next thing you know, I was called to set um, and it was one of the indoor studios in Norcross. And it was one of the, the I don't want to give too much away for those that haven't seen it, but. Yeah, no spoilers. It's, it's <laughs> part of the casino scene in season three. And um, I was actually um, shot in several different scenes, but they do a lot of editing. So I only ended up seeing myself in, in one particular area. And so um, for anyone who watches Ozark, I'm on. Um, season three, episode four, right about the 28-12 mark. Yeah. Um, so do you think, do you have the acting bug now? Are you going to want to be on some more movie sets? I, I tell you, it was fun. Um, it's a long day because you, you have to get there. Um, like, well, they have different times, but for me and for that filming, I had to get there around 6.30. Wow. Yeah. It's about an hour from my house. So um, I needed to make sure I got there in time. Um, and then you're there for at least 10 to 12 hours. And you don't know how long it, um, you're going to be there. And a lot of times when um, you're not filming, you're si you're sitting in what's called holding. So you're in there with a lot of other folks, um, just kind of waiting for the scenes to wrap and for like a new scene to shoot. Uh, some of those scenes, though, they they reshoot those maybe like five to eight times. So you could be, you know, in a 20 second clip, but yet it takes about a half hour just for them to actually film it. Wow. So what stars, what stars did you get to see? Oh, so um, so I did get to, so for those of you that watch um, um, Ozark, you might know Ruth, um, the blonde hair, the curly blonde hair woman that's in there. Um, so I got to see her and um, didn't get to see Jason Bateman until the very last scene. Um, which unfortunately that wasn't one of the scenes that made it in, but uh, he walked right, right by me. 
um, coming into the bar. And, but the, the one thing is that um, they're very strict on not having any contact with any of the actors. So um, they want to make sure that they're not being disturbed and uh, that the focus is on them for the shooting of the scenes. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, you'll have to let us know if you decide to be an extra in anything else. I definitely will watch. Yes, and um, I'll definitely let you know. And it, it was exciting and um, definitely something that I'd recommend if, if somebody has the opportunity. It's not a moneymaker by any means, but um, it's there just to have fun and just to, to say that you did it. Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's an experience and that's what, you know, life is about. And I think this is like what this time period is really teaching us is like how short and unpredictable life is. So if you have an opportunity to do something really fun like that, go for it. Yes. Yeah. So um, I think you told me that you're actually doing some stuff for the quarantine with State Farm because I know you um, you you volunteer with State Farm. You're on some of the committees and are you you're doing some grants for organizations? Yes. So I'm one of the um, Pride ERG employee resource group, um, community committee leads. And um, what we do is we focus on um, being involved in the community. And part of that is uh, we have State Farm as an organization through each of the employee resource groups. Um, we donate um, different amounts of money. And for this year, it's $10,000 to different organizations. Normally that occurs in June and July, but because of COVID-19 that we wanted to be able to identify an organization early on that could really use and benefit um, from that money because of the struggles that folks are facing with this pandemic. And so um, I've worked with Lost and Found Youth, um, which is a nonprofit organization in Atlanta and they are an LGBTQ friendly organization that provides um, different uh, types of services for homeless LGBT youth, um, LGBTQ youth in and around the Atlanta area. And uh, their main source of income is a, they have two different thrift stores, but because of the shelter in place and the closing down of different types of businesses, um, they haven't been able to generate that income. So I thought it was an opportunity for State Farm to be able to provide to them and to give back to our community, especially in a time of need like this. So we are able to, um, we're in a process right now of being able um, to process a $2,500 grant for them. That's awesome. Thank you to State Farm and for you for making all that happen. Um, you, I feel like you are you are so ingrained in Atlanta. It's hard to believe that you're not from there. Like you're, you know, you're out and about. You're invested in the community. You're taking part in the Hollywood scene. But you said you're from your family is from upstate New York. Yes, yeah, so I originally. Um, well, even before that, so I'm I'm from South Korea, and uh, I was actually born there. I'm not going to say how many years ago. Share <laughs> <laughs> your birthday. But, um, um, and I'm adopted too. So I came to the, the States when I was only three years old um, and lived in the Hudson River Valley of New York uh, for several years. Um, and uh, I, so my parents, um, uh, my father's of Polish descent and my mother was of um, Dutch and English descent. And so it's kind of an interesting childhood growing up being the, the only Korean person in the household and the only Korean person in, in the town for that matter 
or oh, even wow. an Asian person. So it was a very rural area of New York. And I know a lot of times when people say New York, they, they almost always think of New York City, but there's a lot of other state as well. Yeah, no, and I don't think the Hudson River Valley. It is absolutely stunning. It's Yeah, but you're right. It is, you don't think of New York State as being that removed from the city like that, that rural, and it really is. And that's where um, I spent a lot of my life growing up um, and um, lived there um, up until 2000. So several years there. And in 2000 is when um, I made my journey into Connecticut. So not too far from where I, I grew up. It was only about two, two and a half hours. And that um, was because of a work relocation. And so, um, yes, yeah, so and now I've been here in Georgia for just over six years. Um, the first two months of it was in a hotel room while my house was finished being built. Um, so I got a chance to kind of explore a little bit um, and, and get out and about to see parts of Atlanta. But uh, yeah, I feel like um, it's been longer than six years and um, that um, Atlanta has, in all of Georgia for that matter, has really grown on me. Um, it's been uh, you know, a great opportunity here. I've learned quite a bit, I've grown. There's one thing that I didn't realize when I moved to, down to Georgia was that there is a very large transgender community here. Um, really? And it's amazing um, that uh, you take a look at Atlanta, it's just uh, it, obviously it's a large population, um, but uh, considering um, land-wise, um, how Atlanta compares to um, all of Georgia, it's just a small piece of that. But um, right around the Atlanta area, um, it has one of the highest concentrations of transgender folks um, across the nation. Did that affect your transition? Um, when did you transition? Were you already down in Atlanta or was it before you moved there? So, um, no, it wasn't until I moved um, down to Atlanta and it wasn't, I didn't move down to Atlanta um, because I felt like I needed a new um, environment for me being transgender uh, because I wasn't even out to anyone um, prior to that. And I, even when I first moved down here in 2014, I didn't have any plans of transitioning full time and I wasn't even out to um, anyone, including my wife. But things, when I moved, when I came down here, things kind of happened very fast um, for a lot of different reasons. Um, one, as I mentioned, that um, Atlanta has a very large transgender population, and, and that kind of opened my eyes um, to see folks in different stages of their life and of their journey. And one of the eye-opening things for me was when I went to the Southern Comfort Conference, which was hosted in Atlanta for several years, and 2014 was last year that it was here. But it was a year that um, I attended and I had the opportunity to meet several folks um, here. Um, and I was just amazed that a lot of them were living their authentic life. And um, I figured, well, if they could do it, then I could do it as well. Um, I didn't necessarily know what that meant for me, but in September 2000, I knew that I at least had to come out. So that's when I ended up coming out to my wife, Holly. And um, um, prior to that, though, um, her mom, who um, lived in Connecticut and uh, grew up in Connecticut, um, was becoming very ill and um, eventually 
needed hospice care. So in um, June of 2014, she ended up going to Connecticut and we were away from each other from June until September. Um, I had visited there a couple of times, but um, it was a, during that time, it was a lot of time for me to kind of reflect on different things of who I am and who I needed to be and, and, and how I needed to express myself um, to everyone. And so when Holly came back in um, September, and this was after the Southern Comfort Conference, I knew that I needed to come out to her. And so um, shortly after she, she did arrive back here in Georgia, that's when um, um, I had that discussion with her. But still, even at that time, I didn't know what that meant for me in my journey. And I still didn't even plan on being full-time and living my life 100%. It wasn't until um, I attended Keystone in 2015 that uh, it kind of reinforced things for me to say that, you know what, um, I really need to be true to myself and I'm going to pursue this um, no matter what the circumstances are going to be. Wow. And that's one of the reasons I'm such a fan of getting people to conferences. And I can't wait for people to have those opportunities again, because you know, you lived your entire life, not even really fully considering it. And you went to Southern Comfort and was like, wow, this is this is where I need to be. Um, and, you know, it, it's so amazing what just being around other people like you, how comfortable and um how much personal reflection that that can provide and what a gift that you had. I mean, it, it was a horrible time, but for you to be able to have that period where you were alone and your wife was back in Connecticut to really soul search it, you know, as you're describing it, I'm wondering how many people are experiencing that right now. You know, we're out of our routines, we're locked down. Um, there is a lot of time for potential, like, you know, self-reflection. So it'll be interesting to see how the world changes, you know, once we come out of this. Yeah, and this is an opportunity for folks to kind of um, um, think about things a little bit differently, um, especially um, being um, shelter in place for, for most folks, uh, not, not being able to get out as much as they um, were used to or would like to. Um, and when you have that time to reflect on it, it, it gives you an opportunity to, to really determine, you know, what it is that you want out of your life. And for, for this journey that I took, this isn't for everyone um, who is transgender. So there, I always consider being transgender, so, you know, on a spectrum. And so you can have two people that may have similar backgrounds, but they go on different paths and that's okay. Each person has to understand what um, that person wants out of out of themselves um, and be able to move forward. Also family makes a big impact as well. I don't know um, what how decisions would have been different, if any, um, if I had children. So I don't have any children, which made things a lot easier, but I know that complicates things for folks that um, have children um, and not wanting to disrupt that, um, that that family type atmosphere. Now, so when you came out to Holly, um, had you come out to anyone before? So the only, well, I had come out to a few folks before. Um, one, um, I had come out to my older sister, Stephanie, um, who is also transgender, and she had come out um, several years prior to me. So um, 
when I came out to my family, which was after I came out to Holly, um, with the exception of Stephanie, that it was definitely much easier for me um, to, to have those conversations because Stephanie kind of paved the way um, for everyone for, as far as acceptance and understanding. That's amazing. Wait, how, many, how many siblings do you have? Um, so I have an older sister, Stephanie. Um, she's adopted as well. Um, she's American now, and she's a year and a half older than I am. And then I have a, a younger sister um, and a younger brother. So they are both um, natural born from my my parents. And, but um, I've, my, sis, my younger sister, she lives in Hardyville, South Carolina. Carolina. Can't get the words out. Um, and then I have a brother who lives in um, New York, and then my older sister Stephanie. She lives um, right in around the Albany area of New York. How wild that your parents adopted two children, and they both ended up being transgender. I know we probably should make a movie out of that somehow. <laughs> we should. So, did, was it easier to come out because she had already come out in the family, or did it feel like there was more pressure? Like maybe Stephanie, like stole the, the trans show. I don't know. You know, you know, it's funny that you say that because in a way it almost seemed like that. Well, you know, it's like you want to be able to come out and you want things to obviously go smoothly. Um, and you never know how that's going to be. Um, and, but I had a pretty strong feeling that given that Stephanie had come out and that the family accepted her, that um, there wouldn't be any reason why they wouldn't accept me. But in a way I felt like, okay, wow, she kind of stole my thunder, like coming out. <laughs> but I'm glad in a way, because she needs to be who she is. And I'm glad the family accepted her. Um, and, um, you, know, you know, obviously then for me, it was just kind of like very simple to, to have that conversation. And so, um, when I came out to my younger sister, who's cisgender, um, it was it was kind of a different approach I took. So um, I said to her, I said, Amy, you know how you started out with three brothers? I said, well, now you're down to one. Horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Did she get what you meant like right away? She knew, she knew exactly what I meant. And she's like, oh, she's like, that's great. You know, I just need time to prepare her, you know, her children which they, um, um, they immediately uh, adapted very well. Yeah, that's awesome. So, um, but Stephanie coming out didn't influence your transition. It was really going to Southern Comfort? It was really going to Southern Comfort. And um, I don't, you know, maybe in, in the back of my mind, it did have a positive influence on me, um, but I would not say that, um, I took the approach that I'm coming out because she's coming out or had come out. But I think, um, you know, for everyone, they have to do it when it's right for, for them. And even when Stephanie first told me, I had not shared my feelings with her um, until about three years later. Wow. Wow. Uh, so when you went to Southern Comfort, you know, that's when you realized you needed to do something but it was it was six months later at Keystone that you were like, bam, I'm I'm doing it. I'm going to do the transition, right? Um, yes, that's when that occurred. Um, I had thought strongly of it um, before, and I've been to. Um, that wasn't the first time I had gone to Keystone, um, and I'd gone to um, uh, first event several times prior to that, 
And so I had the opportunity to um, sit in on a, a lot of the different sessions and meet with the different doctors, but it wasn't until um, March of 2015 um, when I met with Dr. Marcy Bowers that I decided to um, move forward with the medical transition piece of it. And um, about a month after um, attending that conference um, in April, that's when I decided to put a deposit down and, um, and at least make sure that um, you know, I thought about what it is that I wanted to do. I knew I had the opportunity to think about it for a while because that was a two and a half year waiting list, but I have to say two and a half years goes by pretty fast. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, um, so your your life now, you feel that you have transitioned. Do you still think of being transgender as like one of the biggest identifiers of you personally, or? No, I don't. Um, now I, I feel like I'm on a part of my life where that is just more of a characteristic or a trait, kind of like eye eye color or um, you know hair color. Um, that it, it's 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 not something that I try to about on a daily basis um, and it's not what defines me as a person so it's not like here's the transgender person Ashley it's here's Ashley here's what she does oh and by the way she just happens to be transgender and so that you know it doesn't always come up um, but I don't want I don't want to have folks look at me as um, you know the first thing they see is a transgender person I want and, and this goes not just for me, but for everyone as well. I want them to really understand who we are individually and then understand that, okay, who we are being transgender, that's just a part of us um, that we can't change, but that's something that we just live with. Yeah. So um, what was it like coming out at work? Because you've been with State Farm for decades. So you experienced your transition with them. Had, I mean, they're a really big company. Did they have a protocol for coming out? So it's interesting that you say that because State Farm is a huge organization. And I can almost guarantee you that I am not the first person to ever transition um, at work for State Farm. And my, um, you know, just adding to the timeline that we spoke about, um, we discussed um, March 2015 as the date in which I attended uh, Keystone and decided that medically um, I was going to progress forward. Well, obviously with that, that meant um, coming out at work too. And so I hadn't really thought about when that plan was going to be. Um, and I didn't even start hormones until November 2015. Um, but I knew it, um, within the first quarter of 2016 that I um, put together a plan for me to transition at work on October 11, 2016, which is National Coming Out Day. Um, but I also knew um, between you know first quarter 2016 and um, October 11 that I had to um, figure out how I was going to come out at work and what that looked like. I had met with one of the Pride ERG leaders, Robin. Um, who um, is also in Atlanta, and um, this it was just coincidence that we had this meeting. Um, she had reached out. Um, she had not known about my background or anything at that point, but just knew that I was a new person um, within the ERG and wanted to reach out and say hello. So the first time I met with her, she proceeded to tell uh, tell me about her transgender daughter, and I was just amazed. I'm in. Um, 
you know, the confidence that she had when she spoke about her daughter um, just put me at such ease. And I'm like, wow, um, you know, she's probably going to be the first person I come out to at State Farm. And, and she was. And so she kind of helped guide me through that process. But there wasn't a lot of resources back then. Uh, there wasn't anyone that I could reach out to um, directly that had gone through that experience or there wasn't any process in place. And so I um, had to kind of create my own process of what that transition was going to look like. And um, when I talked to my manager and first came out to her in June of 2016, that um, we discussed what that strategy was going to look like. And she kind of left it up to me um, to determine, you know, how I wanted to handle that. And so um, at the time I was working with about a hundred different people um, and wanted to share that um, personally with them. And so um, I met with all the managers um, in a group setting and in our directors as well. Um, and um, let them know that you know, I am transgender and that I'd be coming out at work um, and what that would mean for um, uh, for me and for others as well. Um, but there wasn't really anything to go on other than that. I'd come up with um, some different resources that Robin helped me put together and some resources that um, were available um, from PFLAG and other organizations. Um, and so it was, I, I had really no idea what to expect. Um, obviously, um, there's there was a lot of anxiety um, around that um, because that was a huge milestone. And I remember um, sitting in a parking lot uh, on October 11th and um, sitting in my car just waiting to go in and um, you know wondering what that reaction was going to be like for folks, even though that I had conversations um, with a lot of people prior to that. And everything kind of switched over in the system. And so one of the downsides to being a large organization is, is how our techn technology works and through our systems like email and Skype. And so it's a little bit of a challenge working through that the first week because I remember like the first day that people would see my previous name with my new photo and vice versa. Some people would see my you know, current name with my previous photo. So it was a little awkward being in movie in, in movies. Well, looking back to oh sorry, of um, being in conference calls and in different meetings. Because uh, you know, depending on what type of server people were on, they would see different things. So um, it was a little awkward for a few days. And um, I also remember that um, you know I tried to have conversations with as many folks as I could, but not everyone was present during that time. And um, one of my coworkers, uh, Shelly, I'm, I remember her coming up to me and saying, oh, that's a pretty dress that you have on. And I said, oh, thank you, Shelly. And she's like, oh, and by the way, I, I, I noticed that your name changed in the system. And I said, oh, I was like, oh, you didn't, you didn't know? She's like, no, but she's like, oh, that's cool. It's like, I want, to, I want you to you know, tell me all about it. So um, people were, were very accepting. And, not to be mean or malicious, but obviously when um, folks are used to a different name um, for working with somebody for a long period of time, there's an adjustment period. Um, so there was, you know, adjustment period upwards, up, you know, mostly up until about six months. But even beyond that, you know, there'd be the occasional uh, slip up even up to a year afterwards. But again, that was not intentional. Um, 
by any means. Yeah. Oh, that's so well. Um, is there a plan in place now? Have you kind of paved the way for other people to transition through State Farm? Yeah. So being a part of the Pride ERG, um, I knew that um, it was you know, my responsibility or at least part of my responsibility to help others um, feel comfortable within the organization. And so um, in June of 2017, I did a video series um, for the ERG and for diversity inclusion that talked about my transition and my experience of what it was like growing up being transgender and then coming out um, in the workplace. I wanted that to be a learning opportunity for folks um, and uh, put myself out there for others that might feel a little bit uncomfortable about the company that they work for. And after I did that, I had hundreds of people reach out to me. Um, a lot of people that just wanted to show their support, but there's also others that wanted to tell me about their transgender um, son or daughter or a relative or neighbor, or in some cases, uh, folks that were afraid to mention anything at all at work about um, their background and whether they were transgender or um, non-binary and never felt like they were comfortable or enough to be able to do so and didn't know how State Farm would react to that. So um, there were several folks that I talked to that um, I helped guide them through that process. And a couple actually transitioned that work since then. One of the other things that we put together too um, is a transgender resource guide for leaders. So they knew what to expect when they had an employee coming out and also a resource guide, um, a general resource guide that included terminology for everyone and including those that um, identify um, as being transgender. That's awesome. How blazer you are, Ashley. Look, think of all those lives that you affected with like HR videos. <laughs> you know, I never, so I never thought about it that way before. And I just felt like it's just something that needed to be done. Um, because I felt like, okay, there's, if, if I'm feeling that I need to transition at work, there's probably several others doing that as well. And if there's not resources, how are they going to do that? And, and so, um, I'm, I'm glad the information is out there now, um, and that we're continuing to update that information and expand on it as well. Um, and now diversity and inclusion is really kind of um, taking a strong hold on that piece of it too. And so we've gotten support, um, a lot of our executive leaders. Um, and interesting too, that um, um, I had people reach out to me on all levels um, uh, within the organization, um, some executive, some vice president, um, and, and some folks um, in, in different parts of the company that um, I would have never realized that um, they were affected by someone they know being transgender. Yeah, I think it's, I think it really shows that anything, there's so many ways to help. There are so many ways to like put your hand out and help somebody else that, uh, yeah, and there's so many ways to affect change and just what you did through your career with State Farm, that's amazing. Um, yeah. I, I wanted to share this one thought that um, I learned um, from a speaker at the Out and Equal Conference that I attended last year. Mm -hmm. um, so it really resonated with me, but one of the speakers, um, this was during one of our um, lunch meetings, has said, 
when you get to the top, it's your responsibility to throw the rope back down for somebody to climb back up. And th the reason why that resonated with me, because I feel like, okay, as far as my transition and everything, I've reached the top and now it's my responsibility to help others um, to get there as well. Yeah. If that's what they wanted to. That's amazing. I love that. So Ashley, um, you know, I have a couple of questions that I like to ask in every interview. And one of them is, where do you see yourself, you know, one year, five year, 10 years down the road? So that's a great question. Um, and I'm looking to extend my career with State Farm. Hopefully they're, they're thinking the same thing. <laughs> um, Career-wise, I don't know what that's going to look like. Um, I'm looking at different leadership opportunities, but one of the things that has become apparent um, within the organization is that we do not have transgender leaders here. And when I attended out in Equal in um, um, September, October last year, that um, I met several transgender folks at Bank of America, um, and it was really eye-opening for me. Um, to see that because I'm like, well, why don't we have folks who are transgender um, in these executive type positions or leadership leadership type positions at State Farm? Sorry, my allergies in Georgia are getting the best of me here. Um, and um, we have, you know, folks that are um, very capable of these positions. And so I, I want it now to make it my responsibility to kind of push that message forward and making sure that we give the opportunities to the LGBTQ community for different types of leadership opportunities. So um, so hopefully um, where I see myself in maybe five to 10 years um, in, in maybe one of those leadership um, opportunities that I'm talking about now. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> From a personal standpoint, um, it's a good question. I don't know. Um, and um, those that know me um, know that um, I've been separated for several years and um, it's amicable, but eventually the, the um, divorce is going to go through. It hasn't um, for different reasons. Um, but um, so from a relationship standpoint, I don't know um, where that's going to take me. Um, but I do know um, that um, Wherever it does, that it's going to just you know make me a better person. Um, I've had the opportunity to meet folks that um, have been in different types of relationships, and so I don't kind of I don't I don't know where I see myself as far as being in a relationship. But um, you know, just taking it one day at a time. Yeah. Okay, so this is your dating video right here. Okay. Um, describe your perfect date for a Saturday night a few years from now. So perfect date. Uh, so yeah, I'm very pipe, very bipolar when it comes to that. So um, <laughs> especially uh, prior to COVID-19, I would say the per perfect date would be staying in, cooking a nice dinner, having some wine, and then maybe just watching TV and spending time together. Um, you know, now that I've been doing this for <laughs> several weeks, I want to be able to get out. But that's why I say my bipolarness comes in. I don't think that's a true word, but um, because I also like to go out and have fun too. So I like to go out with folks. Um, and food is obviously one of the, the things that um, I really enjoy. So I love going out um, to different places, having a nice dinner, having some nice wine, having some great conversation. Um, and then just getting out and, and traveling when I can from time to time. 
That's all. Well, that sounds like a pretty great Saturday night too. I tell you what, I can't wait to get back out and start traveling again. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Um, I know a lot of people are going to be fearful still. Um, I have plans. So there's a, a, a group of friends um, from Connecticut that are planning a trip to um, Charleston, South Carolina um, in August. And I'm hoping that we're still able to do it, but um, it's, some folks that I haven't been able to see for a while, but I know that there's still some hesitation with people not knowing what the uncertainty of, of this is going to be going forward. Yeah. No, we had this was going to be a big vacation year for us. We were going to go back to Europe for the first time since like 2009 and do like a big, my husband's a James Bond fan. So we were going to do like a London and Scotland thing. I think now, like we talked about it last night, we're talking about just doing another road trip. Maybe this time actually read an RV and uh, head up into Canada. We'll see. But yeah, it's like, you know, you want to travel, but we don't really know what the world is going to look like. And I'm not quite ready to cross any oceans for a little while and get into that crowded scene. So yeah. And one of the other things too is, um, I don't know how things are going to, how this is going to work out in the end, but I was supposed to go with somebody um, to Italy in September. And um, um, this is somebody that um, I was seeing last year, but things have kind of, you know, gone differently. So to, for two different reasons, uh, I'm not sure why, you know, what's going to happen. One, COVID-19, uh, again, being Italy, I don't know what the, the situation is going to look like there. And two, from a relationship standpoint, we haven't really talked about that. Yeah. Well, you know, you can always reach out to Marina Cottrell, our top expert from My Feminine Heart. She's Italian and okay. she really has like the inside track with her family back there as to like what's going on. So if you want like the non-news version, if you want like the on the street vibe feel for Italy, let me know. I can like get you guys connected. All right. Yeah. 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 Actually, um, a week from now, I was supposed to be photographing a wedding in Jamaica. So I was so excited. I do like one wedding a year, usually like one one or two luxury weddings. And this was my first destination wedding to the Caribbean. And I was so excited. Uh, yeah. Um, but I can't be disappointed for myself more than I, I can be for the bride. So she's rescheduled for later in the year. And I just hope that things work out that we're able to make it happen for. So, so my I hope next, so Oh, thank you. My next question for you is... Um, you know, I loved your phrase of, you know, when you get to the top, throwing the rope back, if there was one piece of advice that would have made a difference to you that you wish somebody had told you that you would like to share, what would that advice be? I think for me, it would be, you know, knowing everything and that I've gone through um, and um, thinking about some of the challenges that um, we think that we're going to be faced with is um, to tell myself that you are going to be your own worst enemy through all of this and that you're probably going to overthink a lot of different things. Um, and so just kind of, you know, trust yourself, trust that things are going to be good um, and believe that you can do it. And um, I, I feel like a lot of times that we um, don't make decisions or are hesitant for, on decisions um, because we're uncertain about um you know, what the reaction is going to be. And um, we always, I don't, I don't want to say always, but a lot of times we, we think that the worst is going to happen or plan for the worst when in fact um, we're a lot of times pleasantly surprised by the outcomes. Yeah. 
No, that's very true. And that's so true for life. That so many things that we want, we really can be our own worst enemy withholding ourselves with ourselves back. Um, you know, and there's there's one more thing, actually, that you said that really resonated with me. You kind of introduced this term to me. Um, you know, I've heard people talk about this before, but not specifically the phrase dead name. And I know that you yeah. have like some pretty amazing thoughts on that. Would you mind sharing? Sure. I And so um, a lot of people refer to um, their previous name as a dead name. Um, and, and for me, um, I never used that name. Um, I don't openly share it to everyone in the world, but I'll tell people uh, my previous name. And I, I shared it with Cassandra. And I don't refer to it as a dead name because that's part of my life. I don't want that um, life. That, that part of my life to ever, or anyone in that part of my life to ever feel like they didn't belong there or that I didn't want them there. And so the reason why that became very eye-opening for me was a conversation I had with Holly and, um, and she had cried one night and said that, um, she said, she said to me, she said, um, you're going to wish that I was never a part of your life. And I thought about that for a while. And I'm like, no. And well, my initial reaction was no, of course. Um, but I thought about that for a while and I said, well, do, are people going to get that reaction when they hear dead name or they that, um, you know, people want to erase, you know, what happened before um, I started, you know, presenting myself as Ashley. And I don't. Um, I'm proud of that part of my life um, just because I didn't identify um on the exterior of how I felt on the interior doesn't mean that I want to eliminate those memories or, um, you, know, you know, have have it where folks that were a part of my life during that time feel like that things were different um, and that, um, that um, you know, I wish things were different uh, so to, the to the fact that um, I could change all of that because I wouldn't. And, you know, my life already happened. I don't want to change what happened. I've had some great experiences in my life. I've learned from those. Um, but, you know, for me, um, like I would never use that terminology dead name to refer to um, my previous name. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, the other thing, too, is I had a had a name in Korea, too. So um, so this is my third legal name that well, and I think that's that's really beautiful advice because a lot of people I know struggle with, well, what what do I, and that's not with anything, with transitioning, with um, if they have a significant relationship that ends like a long-term marriage or a career change, you know, there are times in anyone's life where the course can really shoot off in a new direction. And it's, you know, what does this say about my life now versus what my life used to be? Um, and not feeling the need to erase that or forget about that is, is, is amazing. Do you have like up in your house photos of you before you were Ashley? I do. So it's kind of mixed. Um, and I, I don't know if anyone's really called me out on it, but, um, and I think most people that come into the house know I'm transgender anyway, so it doesn't really matter. I don't necessarily um, point those photos out, but again, at the same time, you know, it's a part of my life. So I'm not, I'm not ashamed of, of my appearance before or my name before, um, even though that this is how I identify today. Um, I just, you know, want people to understand that, that, you know, 
that you can enjoy and those memories still of, of who you are um, without, um, you know, having that appearance of, and name associated with that. Yeah, no, that's really beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that philosophy with us. You've had so many beautiful things uh, to share today. I, I can't thank you enough for your time, for you know, sharing your journey. This has just been amazing. And I'm so excited that we got to do it, even though we didn't get to see each other in person at Keystone. Well, thank you, Cass. Yeah, so, and I, I appreciate you um, researching, you know, different opportunities to, to still stay connected. I, I think this is, a, you know, that's very important in, in today's environment. And um, yeah, I would have loved to have the opportunity to um, do this in person um, at Keystone, but you know, given the circumstances, this is the next best thing. It is, and I can't wait to see you someday again, hopefully in warmer weather. Maybe I'll be back down in Atlanta soon. You never know. Yes, well, hopefully uh, I'll get an opportunity to see you at some point. And if you ever do make your way down to Atlanta, please let me know. You've got it. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Ashley. And thank you to all our listeners for joining us today. Um, you know, it's your support that's keeping us going. So if if you agree and believe in our mission of outreach, education, and support for the transgender community, please, um, you know, subscribe to our newsletter. Stay up to date on everything that we are sending out. Follow us on all our social media. And, you know, if you're ready, sign up as a patron. We'd love to have you part of the family. So thank you all for all of your support. Thank you, Ashley. And I'm going to wish you all a beautiful day. Thank you. Thank you, Cass. Have a great day. How would you like an all-access pass to watch all of our interviews and the exclusive Cassandra Storm solo seminar series? To unlock discounts on products and services, adding up to the hundreds or thousands of dollars from our top experts. All this can be yours for just $9 a month, and you can cancel at any time. Sign up today at MyFeminineHeart.com. We are so excited to share this journey with you.